Hello, this is Eric Bryant, pastor at Gateway Church in South Austin. If you want more resources, including the notes from this message, go to ericbryant.org. Or to find out more about our community, go to gatewaychurch.com south. All right. Ever feel like that bear? I don't know how they got the mic on that bear. That's, in, that's impressive. Well, life can feel scary and out of control at times, kind of like you're being chased down or hunted. But what I want us to talk about today is how we can actually trust God, no matter what circumstances we may face, because God is in control. He's sovereign. It's this idea that he is ruler over everything. And if we could trust that God truly was in control, how would that change your life? Would you be able to live without fear, be able to take more risks, be able to love bolder, explore, to try, to create? If we could trust God at such a level, we would have a confident assurance that we are his and we have nothing to fear. Now, it's easy to say that until you get a kidney stone. Now, if you don't know what a kidney stone is, oh, man, it's the worst thing I've ever experienced in my life. There's basically a rock that somehow messes up that little tube between your kidney and your bladder. I'm not going to show any pictures. That's all you need to know. And some of you know that on the day I was married, Deborah and I got up uh, separate places, and I woke up with chicken pox. I had never had chicken pox in my life until our wedding day. So it makes perfect sense that on our 25th anniversary, I would wake up and need to go to the ER, which what I discovered later was a kidney stone. Now, I ended up, I was in so much pain, I ended up tweeting out, Instagramming, Facebook, anybody out there who can pray, pray this resolves, because I was in incredible pain. And about an hour and a half after I got home from the ER, I was all better. It was a miracle. Thank you for praying, if you were part of those prayer teams. But then this last Wednesday, I got on a I was on my way to Charleston. I was going to do a training for pastors. And as I was waiting to get on the flight to Dallas, because of course, if you're going anywhere from Austin, you got to go through Dallas or Houston, right? They say that when you die in Austin to get to heaven, you got to go through Dallas or Houston. (laughs) And so I'm waiting to get on the plane. And all of a sudden I start feeling that pain again. And I was thinking, oh no, not another one. Or is this the same one? I I, I started to, to panic, and I started texting my wife, what, what can I do? What drugs are legal? What, what can I do in this moment? And literally, my mind kept racing. What if it gets worse on the plane? What if I pass out? What if I throw up? Like, it, it, the pain was so intense the week before that, that I, I literally was on the edge. I mean, I've gone through some painful things, but nothing like this kidney stone. And so all of a sudden, I'm in this incredible pain, and I'm on, I'm on the flight, And it's getting worse now. It's not as bad as it got at the ER, but it was not good. It was enough to where if I hadn't been on a plane, I would have gone to the ER. But now I'm in a plane. And I look at the the stewardess comes up to me and I say, could I have some water? And she looks at me. She says, are you okay? And I hoped I was. (laughs) You know, I hoped I was. And I was just praying. And it was so painful. And I, I, I didn't have the ability to work on this message or to work on the message that I was going to share in Charleston. I I just could barely just focus. And so I just started reading the bonus reading for this Sunday. I'd encourage you to read from Isaiah 40 to 66, and I know it's a lot, but I decided to try it 
because I needed God to rescue me, to help me. And I'm telling you, as I started reading, it was amazing how so often little verses would pop up. Now, think of the scriptures as a portal into God's presence. And it is showing us how God can be trusted and how he intervened in the lives of other people. So I'm thinking, God, if you can rescue the people of Israel through all sorts of craziness, you can help me with this kidney stone, right? And so as I'm reading, listen to some of these verses that just popped up. It was kind of amazing. Uh, Verses that would say, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have created you. I have formed you. So God, if that's true, then you know what's wrong with this little pipe between my kidney and my bladder. God, fix it. Do not be afraid, for I'm with you. Or listen to this. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. God, may it be so. May the waters pass through me. And then one particular passage that felt like it was prophetically written 2,700 years ago just for this moment. Listen to this. This is what the Lord says, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. I am the Lord your God who teaches you what is best for you, who directs you in the way you should go. I need this rock to go, God. Please teach me. If only you had paid attention to my my commands. Okay, God, I'll never drink so many Diet Cokes. Your peace would have been like a river. I want peace like a river. Your well-being like the waves of the sea. Your descendants would have been like the sand. God, would you turn this rock into sand? This is my literal prayers. The Lord has redeemed his servant Jacob. I need to be redeemed, God. They did not thirst when he led them through the deserts. He made water flow for them from the rock. And then the greatest line of all, God split the rock and water gushed out. (laughs) May it be so, God, split this rock. I mean, I'm on the plane, now I'm in pain, but I'm laughing, like this is just absurd. But I was able to calm myself down, I got off the plane, I took two Advil, I tweeted, Instagrammed, you know, Facebook, it is funny, my my mentor, Erwin McManus, like I'm tweeting out, please pray for my kidney stone, and he's like doing interviews for his new book, The Way of the Warrior, (laughs) it's like one after the other, kidney stone, way of the warrior, I just felt like such a wimp, but I needed prayers. And they worked along with the two Advil. It worked. And I started feeling better again. See, here's the thing. God can be trusted even if the pain had not stopped. And sometimes God says yes to to small requests so that we can trust him when he has to say no to the big ones. There's a great phrase that helped me with this, understanding how to trust God even when things are not going the way we wanted. Tim Keller, a pastor out of New York City once said, God answers our prayers the way we would if we knew everything he knows. See, you and I can develop a a faith bigger than our circumstances. We can have hope greater than our circumstances. And even the scriptures give us this different perspective. It's an eternal perspective. I mean, this is not all there is. This life Paul said, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Even in Isaiah, in my readings in 57, it says, the righteous are taken away to be spared from evil. Those who walk uprightly enter into peace. They find rest as they die in death. There's another passage that talks about how Precious in the eyes of God is the death of his saints. See, this is not all there is. We can trust God for a life beyond this and even in the midst of terrible circumstances. And so we're looking at Isaiah today. It's a beautiful book that demonstrates God's reality, his sovereignty, how we can trust 
him, how he's in control even when things seem so out of control. And what's so remarkable about Isaiah is there's prophecies fulfilled in the person of Jesus. It was written 700 years before Jesus walked on planet Earth. And Isaiah still miraculously, prophetically describes the birth, the death, the resurrection of Jesus with incredible accuracy. In fact, in 1948, we made a amazing discovery that proves that actually what we have and what we read is what was originally intended. And because of science, radiocarbon dating, we are able to actually accurately see that this came and was written before Jesus. Let me me show you a picture of a cave in Qumran. Bedouin shepherd boy chased a goat inside and found Dead Sea Scrolls inside these well-preserved sealed clay jars. And you think of the weather and how dry it is. Inside these sealed clay jars were 22-year-old leather scrolls. There were 38 of the 39 books of the Hebrew Bible, what we call our Old Testament. The first scroll the Bedouin boy grabbed was a complete copy of the book of Isaiah. That entire scroll, the entire book, scientists dated it between 122 before Christ BCE to as Early as 335, somewhere about 200 years before Jesus, these prophecies were written. Now, if you're here and you're still kind of exploring faith, let me just read a few quotes from historians and archaeologists, people who do not have faith. A journalist in the U.S. News and World Report wrote, of 66 chapters of the book of Isaiah, scholars have found only 13 relatively small variations, a phrase or two missing or added, that do nothing to alter the meaning. Or Sir Frederick Kenyon, an archeologist and librarian at the British Museum said, the last foundation for any doubt that the scriptures have come down to us substantially as they were written has now been removed. So in summary, when someone naively tells you that, oh, the Bible's been copied and changed and so full of errors, actually let them know that's actually not true. Now be nice about it. But the issue is not whether or not what we are reading in the Bible is accurate to the original. What matters is are we trusting what is written and living it out? See, God is sovereign. He's put his promises in the scriptures so that we can know him and and that we can know that we are loved and secure. And if we trust him with our life, he can do amazing things beyond what we could ever ask or imagine. Last week, John Burke pointed out how God created the Jewish nation to be a blessing to all nations in two particular ways, to reveal and preserve his word and to reveal the Messiah, the savior of the world. He also talked about how Moses and the Passover actually foretold how the Messiah would be the ultimate Passover sacrifice. We looked at how the way to know if a prophet is from God is if What he says actually comes to pass. And false prophets exist in every time, and you can tell they're not truly prophets because what they say does not come to pass. Listen to these passages from Isaiah. Tell us what the future holds so that we may know that you are gods, he challenges the false prophets. You are my witnesses, says Yahweh, the name of God, and my servant whom I have chosen, so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before, the, before me there was no God. 
Who has announced this from antiquity? Who has told it from then? Is it not I, Yahweh? And there is no other God beside me, a righteous God and a savior. There is none beside me. Turn to me and be saved. All the ends of the earth. Now this was pre-Christian. This was written before Christianity existed. And God is saying, you can trust me because I alone can foretell the future. I am the one true God. Now, to give you a little bit more context, we gave you a little video online at our Facebook group page from the Bible Project, and it's divided into two sections. And the first section is chapters 1 through 39. And in that, we can see that God is warning his people because he loves them. And we discover God's character, how he can be trusted even when circumstances are going badly. And, and sometimes we're in a bad spot. We're facing bad circumstances because we've made bad choices. But we have to understand that God warns us because he loves us. The Hebrew scriptures teach us about human tendency and human tendency is to think we know best and God doesn't. The scriptures teach us and demonstrate to us and show us that each of us Seek to do our own will. We would rather play God than love God and to seek his will in our life. That was true of every individual in the scriptures. It was true of the people of Israel, and it's true of us. Now, it's important to understand that, that God makes a covenant with Abraham 4,000 years ago. And it was a covenant that I will bless you and bless all nations, and it's unconditional. God's love will not be stopped to bless a people and through those people to bless everyone. God would send a Messiah to right all the wrongs, to love us and demonstrate that love for us unconditionally by giving his life as a sacrifice. But there's another covenant. It's a covenant to Moses and it is conditional. God is saying, if you do this, good things will happen. And if you don't, I'm warning you, bad things will happen. And sometimes when we read the scriptures, we get confused which is conditional promise and what is unconditional, because both still apply. Our relationship with God is unconditional. It's free. And we can experience God's blessings if we live according to his ways. And when we don't, we experience the consequences of that. We see that in the people of Israel. For many years, they were experiencing the blessing of God. King David and his reign over the people of Israel was at its peak. But then Solomon came along, more blessed than any other, and wandered away from God. And after him, the kings led their people away to worship gods that demanded child sacrifice and all kinds of evil practices. And there was a civil war. Israel divided into two, the northern tribes called Israel and the southern tribes called Judah. And we read in the scriptures over and over, there's so many of these prophets were coming and they're warning the people. But they ignored God's warnings. And the Assyrians came and invaded the people of Israel. That's the context. Isaiah's writing in the midst of horrible devastation. He's inviting them to turn back to God, to trust God, that God has a plan for them and a future, that they can trust him even when circumstances are terrible, that God is merciful and loving. Listen to what it says in chapter one of Isaiah. For the Lord has spoken, I reared children and brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. Why do you persist in rebellion? Your whole head is injured, your whole heart afflicted. See, God is warning his people like a loving parent with a son or daughter who's making destructive choices. God's pleading with his people. 
Don't keep doing this to yourself. I love you. Turn to me and be healed. That's actually his posture towards you and me. He gives us freedom, and in that freedom, we make all sorts of bad choices, and we experience the consequences, and then we blame God for what's happened. When all along, he's there inviting us into a relationship with him, inviting us to trust him. But he also warns us, the next verse, woe to those who make unjust laws, to those who issue oppressive decrees, to deprive the poor of their rights and withhold justice from the oppressed of my people, making widows their prey and robbing the fatherless. What will you do on the day of reckoning? He's saying, why are you treating the most disenfranchised so poorly? Or in chapter 57, another warning. Are you not a brood of rebels, the offspring of liars? You burn with lust among the oaks and under every spreading tree. You sacrifice your children in the ravines and under the overhanging crags. See, God is full of love and mercy and compassion. But he doesn't tolerate evil and injustice without consequence. And eventually consequences come. And when you find yourself in the midst of darkness and evil... It could feel like God is too slow, but oftentimes it's because God is patiently waiting for the people he loves to turn back to him. The first 40 chapters of Isaiah are warnings interspersed with God's hope that they'll turn and be healed. Again, chapter one, learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. Come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. And in spite of their injustices, look what he says. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you will eat the good things of the land. But if you resist and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword. See, the scriptures are telling us there are consequences to our actions, but God can be trusted. God can even bring good out of the terrible things that happen in our life. And God can even redeem us and rescue us. I want to look at just real quickly seven different prophecies from Isaiah that demonstrate God's control over human history. You see, God's Messiah will prove God's love for us, his desire to rescue us. God told us how... We could know he is the one true God. He alone can foretell the future. And next week, we'll look at Daniel, another amazing book in the scriptures. Reading through the whole book and and watching the video we'll post online could be that bonus reading for you this week. But what we're reading, what we're about to read, these seven different prophecies were written before Jesus' birth, yet God is telling us in advance so we can know. The first is this, God is with us. Isaiah 7, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Isaiah foretells the virgin birth of Jesus. Now, it may seem far-fetched, but I want you to suspend judgment until you see all the specific things foretold, like how and where and even when the Messiah would come. Like number two, God will enter humanity as a child and live in Galilee, and even still, the, with these prophecies, the, the people were, were expecting God to do something different. Even though Isaiah chapter 9 says this, in the future, God will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. 
The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. God, as a human, would come to Galilee And his name is Jesus. And he would even describe himself as the light of the world. History inside and outside the Bible verifies that Jesus grew up in Galilee. Now the Jewish creed is that there's one God, not two or three. Yet here is the mystery of God's sovereignty and joining of himself with humanity in love. He would become one of us, this passage tells us. A child, a son, yet this son would be called called Mighty God, Everlasting Father. See, this would be blasphemy unless this is the one true God. Now, this verse blew blew me away. This verse describes the Father, Son, and Spirit all in one verse, 700 years before Jesus. Isaiah 63, the Lord said, surely they are my people, children. He's referring to himself, God, As a father, these children will be true to me. And so he became their savior. That word Yeshua is the name of Jesus, savior. And all their distressed, he too was distressed. And the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and mercy, he redeemed them. He lifted them up and carried them all the days of old. Yet they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. Father. Son, Spirit, one God revealed in the Hebrew Scriptures. So you may be thinking, so if God was here on earth, then who was ruling the universe? Good question. You have to understand that God is not bound by our dimensions. Science has demonstrated multidimensional space that must be around us to make sense of quantum physics and general relativity. So God must exist beyond our dimensions. God's incarnation as Messiah was not revealing all there is to the infinite sovereign creator, but a human representation, a form we could understand and relate to. Hebrews 1.3 says it like this, the sun is the radiance of God's glory in the exact representation of his being. Isaiah calls the Messiah the arm of God reaching into humanity. So God was always fully in control, infinite, ruling the universe while sticking his arm into the human dimension through Jesus. A third prophecy is that God would come to Jerusalem. He did ministry, grew up in Galilee, but but he would also come to Jerusalem. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout, lift it up, do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God See, the sovereign Lord comes with power. He tends his flock like a shepherd. And as Jesus walked among us, he referred to himself as the good shepherd. This is the heart of God, to to lead us, to care for us, to protect us, a shepherd, as a shepherd does with his sheep. Another passage, the redeemer will come to Jerusalem to buy back those in Israel who have turned from their sins. Another prophecy fulfilled. The Messiah, God, comes for all nations. God's servant, the word Isaiah uses for Messiah. Jesus cares about all people, all nations. Going back to that promise to Abraham, 
to bless all nations. Look at Isaiah 42. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles, to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name. New things I declare before they spring into being, I announce them to you. God alone declares what's to come. And Jesus stood up in the synagogue and he actually read from Isaiah 61, which almost says the same thing, but ends with this, that he has come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Today, this prophecy is fulfilled, Jesus said. He was announcing himself as the promised Messiah. And he wants us, his church, to do the same, to be on the same mission, to announce the year of God's favor to the world around us, that God is for you and not against you. This world may harm us, evil may come against us, but one day justice will come and God will make it all right for all who trust in him. That's why we have nothing to fear. He's roaring behind you. You wanna see what happened to that little bear? Let's watch. never be enough, but you don't have to worry. His roar is behind you. God's love is for each of us and for all nations. In fact, this Wednesday night, I want to invite you to come have dinner with us. Here at six o'clock, bring your favorite dish for our multicultural dinner. We've had folks bring some of their family favorites passed down from generation, representing your cultural heritage. It could be an entree, a side dish, a dessert, And then after we eat together from six to seven, we'll come into this room and I invite you to join us for a call to unity where we will have time for prayer and reflection and communion and worship as we desire to be the people who demonstrate to the world God's love for all nations. So join us this week. There's a story of a kid in the hospital most of his life and someone asked him, how can you not be angry with God? How can this be fair? And the little boy said, well, God's got all eternity to make it up to me. See, our perspective needs to change. But the cost of this relational covenant with God, to to be able to know God and to be known by God required that God would give himself to be that bridge between us and him. So number five, the prophecy number five is the Messiah will suffer for our sins. As we approach Easter, I wanna encourage you to watch a rated R film. It's called The Passion of the Christ. Now, I wouldn't necessarily um, recommend keeping your eyes open the whole time. It's incredibly intense. Any of you seen it? Some of you? Uh, If you're squeamish, maybe don't. Um, Read the book. (laughs) But in many ways, the director visually got things right as the Messiah willingly gave himself and he was beaten 
beyond recognition. Listen to this prophecy from 700 years before. See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being and his form marred beyond human likeness. So he will sprinkle many nations. See, God would enter humanity as an act of love and compassion, teaching us and caring for the poor and brokenhearted. And as you read the eyewitness accounts in the gospel of Jesus' life, his miracles and compassion, you also see how he was brutally beaten, mocked, and tortured by our evils. The evils of humanity can so blind us, human tendency is to play God, and we want to be in control, so much so that if God himself gets in the way, we'll do anything to ignore him, deny him, and kill him. And before you say, well, not me, think about it for a moment. Is there any area of your life where you're resisting God's sovereignty, his rightful rule, You're still calling the shots. You're still saying, not that God. I I can't trust you with that. See, we have that same brokenness within us, the same wayward heart. And even still, he came to rescue us in spite of our hard hearts. There's a, a fascinating passage I want us to look at. It's Isaiah 53. Some of my friends who are Jewish who have come to faith have referred to this as what they grew up knowing as the forbidden passage. You see, in the synagogue, they read through the Torah each week. That's the first five books of the Bible. And then they find a matching prophecy. That's basically all the rest of the Hebrew scriptures. And there's a couple Sundays in a row where they will read from Isaiah 52, and then the next week they'll read from Isaiah 54, skipping chapter 53. Listen, 700 years before Jesus, what was written? In Isaiah 53, who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord, a reference to the Messiah, been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned our own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity, the sins of us all. Written 700 years before Jesus, even secular historians like Josephus and Pliny and Tacitus and others verify that Jesus was crucified in Jerusalem and that others thought it was for the payment of sin. Verse 10, though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, He will see his offspring and prolong his days. He will die and yet somehow he will live. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life, the resurrection, and be satisfied because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors for he bore the sin of many. The reason this was considered forbidden is because it was like reading the story of Jesus in their own scriptures. So why would God do this? We need to understand that when you read the scriptures, you discover that God is love and God is powerful. He's more in control than we can even imagine and God loves you. And God would take a bullet for you. He died for you and for me. We don't have time to go into the other two. Uh, God is sovereign over all nations. I'll post this to our gateway 
South Facebook group page or my website, ericbryant.org, and you can see some of these other prophecies that were fulfilled that are incredibly remarkable. But I want you to understand that even with all the proof, it's still up to you to decide, are you going to believe? Because if you believe, the evidence is all around you. If you don't believe, no evidence will ever be enough. Andrew Clavin said that in his book, The Great Good Thing, How a Secular Jew Came to Faith in Jesus. But I want you to consider the moments in your life where things are not going well. And I want to tell you a story. Some of you were here with us a couple summers ago. One of our pastors experienced a tragic accident which should have taken his life. Miraculously, He's still with us. And I want you to hear his story, but mostly I want you to listen to his trust in God even when it did not look like he would make it. Let's watch together. I believe the text went out at like in between 2 a.m. and 3 a.m. It was as uh, Julie was putting him in an ambulance, basically, I think. Well, it was night. We were celebrating the 4th of July with Jeremy's family, whole extended family. And we were at his in-law's lake house, which has a very long dock. And we were all looking up. And then we heard a really big splash. And it took us a minute to figure out that it was Jeremy. The news just cut to the core, and it seemed like the more news that we got, the more insurmountable it seemed. I would be lying if I said I truly believed that he would be healed. I thought for sure that we were gonna lose a friend. My reaction was like complete numbness, just like, just hard to believe. It was a hot evening, we were about to go back in and I just thought I would take one more jump into the lake. And because all the lights were off, uh, I'm forgetting or not thinking about the fact that the lake is quite a bit lower than it normally is. And so as I dove straight down uh, into the water, I instantly hear quite a bit of crushing uh, and came up out of the water um, knowing that I was, I had injured myself badly. Uh, I was told early on that it was a severe neck break and that was also something called internal decapitation where his head was no longer attached. If I recall, it was less than 1% chance of survival. We knew enough to know that my 30-minute flight from where I was to Parkland Hospital, um, the odds were high that I would, I could die, would die in that flight, and so. We definitely had a, a long moment where he felt like he was saying goodbye to me. Told her she'd been a great wife and a fantastic mother and that um, God was good. Uh, I gave her permission to marry somebody else so she could find somebody as great as me in our marriage, but um, we were gonna be fine. She was gonna be fine. Um, and our kids would be okay um, because we know that God is good and I would see her again. Such a different perspective. How can you say, as you lay there with an internal decapitation, God is good? How can you say, you have my blessing to find another, and you've been great? 
Now, in this instance, we are so grateful that miraculously, Jeremy survived. His wife and three kids still have him with us. But even if he had not made it, God is still good. And I want you to think of those moments in your life where you struggle to trust God, those areas in your life. And I want you in this moment, during this song, to consider, can you still say, God is good? Would you ask him for the kind of faith, the ability to trust, so that you can say, God is good?